Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name is Anna Johnston and our podcast shares the twists and turns of the career journeys of a wide range of women of Aotearoa. We hope that by listening to these stories that you'll feel inspired in your own career. Now today's episode is one of a special five-part mini-series that we're really proud to have developed in collaboration with Te Taurapa Tūhono, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. NZTE helps grow Kiwi companies internationally, bigger, better and faster, for the good of Aotearoa and the world. Each of these five podcast episodes brings you an inspiring story of women who've taken their Kiwi companies to the global stage. A big thank you to NZTE for their support to bring these stories to life. And if you'd like to find out more about NZTE and how they might help you grow your business, search online for NZTE Women in Export. We really hope you enjoy listening. And if you'd be interested in any leadership or career coaching to support your own career journey, drop us a line, hello at thefemalecareer.com. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Amber Taylor. Amber is co-founder and CEO of Ara Journeys, a mobile games company weaving the digital world with Te Ao Māori. Inspired by and drawing on Matauranga Māori, Ara's award-winning games use immersive technologies and artificial intelligence to promote connection to the natural world. Before founding Ara, Amber spent over 18 years working in the tertiary sector, with 12 years of that in research and innovation of emerging technologies. And Amber is also a strong advocate for growing Māori and Pacifica talent and diversity in the tech sector. Kia ora Amber and thank you very much for joining me today. Kia ora Anna, thank you for having me. It's great to be here and kōrero further with you about what we do. It's wonderful, I'm really looking forward to the kōrero. Um, so tell me first of all about the first few years of your career, like, I guess what were some of the highlights and challenges of that time for you? The first few years of my career in starting Ada, there were definitely a lot of challenges. What a lot of people don't know is I actually worked a full-time job and ran the company part-time. So it was looking at between 70 to 80 hour weeks for me over those first two years of starting the company. So obviously that was a big time commitment on my behalf. Luckily, I had a lot of support from my whānau and friends, a real supportive partner who took over most of the household chores and the kids and those bits and pieces that us mums do. But yeah, the first few years were definitely a lot of hard work and trying to just navigate what the company was going to look like and where we were heading post starting the company, planning out the first few years. Great. And if I could take you even a bit further back, Amber, to the even the start of your career, I think you started out your working life working with um, AUT, with the Auckland University of Technology. Tell me a bit about that time period and, and what you learnt, or, or, but also perhaps some of the, the good times and the tough times during that period of your career. I, yeah, I was at AUT for around 18 years, absolutely loved it. It was as the best place to work. I really started my journey with AUT. I was a student there studying business, doing my degree in business, and managed to get some part-time work as a receptionist within the university. From there, I actually staircased up the career ladder, moving into different departments across the university until I finally landed in commercialisation and the commercialisation team before moving into research and innovation. I think what I loved, well, I know what I loved most about my time at AUT is they really supported career growth 
there was a lot of professional development that you could take. I was really fortunate to have great bosses that were not only support for me in terms of growing my career, but really great mentors and leaders, I guess, paving the way for people like me coming through through the ranks. Mm, and how interesting to hear those different roles and that path that you took through AUT. As you said, obviously, you know, some real support for growth and development in your career. And it sounds towards that latter end, you really got more into the innovation, the technology space. What was it about those areas that appealed to you? Oh, it was the, definitely the tech and the research side of things later in my career. And when I went into the commercialization space, I knew nothing about um, tech transfer or commercialization or even this whole different world that the university had where the focus was on growing research and creating these like world-renowned technologies that the university were taking out into, into the world. So, yeah, once I kind of got onto that pathway, and I actually took a little bit of a backward step in that career move because I came from quite a senior position that I was in within the university again before I jumped ship and went into commercialisation. And it was a little bit of a step backwards career-wise, but I managed to get back up to that senior role within three months of that transition, which was, yeah, and that was due to my amazing boss. Mm. And what was it? Because that sometimes you do need to step sideways or even sometimes across downwards even to be able to launch further forward. What was it about that step that, you know, made sense for you? When I was in my current role before before going into commercialisation, I was at the top end of that role. There was no further progression for me, like career progression for me within that team, unless my manager had was going to leave and I could like staircase into that role. That was really the next steps with for me within that team itself. So when I spotted the um, advertisement for commercialization, I looked at it and I was like, actually, that's something really new um, I could sink my teeth into. The team themselves were quite new at that stage as well. So it was an opportunity to really grow in that space with a team and with a supportive, supportive manager. I was fortunate that my manager from my previous role before I went into the commercialization, she was amazing, an amazing mentor, amazing leader. And I spoke with her before actually applying for the job. And she gave me a lot of advice on how do I progress and grow um, within the university, which was a place I loved working for. So that was really helpful. Yeah, uh, those mentors and supporters of us can make a huge difference. But also, I'm sure we'll come to it, I can imagine those skills that you learned in that role have been hugely helpful too in running your own business. So you know, how did the idea for Ara come about? The, the idea started from a conversation that I had with um, my now co-founder, Isaac, Dr. Isaac Warbrick, and we sat down and we were exploring, we were talking about iwi stories and we came at that topic of our, our mana whenua stories, our, um, our iwi stories from different angles. So for me, when I was talking about the importance and the relevance of knowing our stories and having them readily available, I was speaking from a position of being raised urban Māori. So I wasn't brought up around my whānau, which hail from Northland as well as Taranaki. So I've always been in Auckland and I felt this disconnect from my whānau roots in terms of understanding, you know, our history and our stories and all these great stories that my cousins would tell us about when we were on Marae. I I really felt 
that was missing for me being here in Auckland. And then with my tamariki as well, them growing up, they were becoming even more distant from the marae and from our papakainga, that I wanted to start looking at how we bridge that, really. How do, how do we create something that will help people like me in my situation feel more confident in reconnecting back to our homelands? And with Isaac, he's, um, he specialises in Māori health, health and wellbeing. And for him, it was like he was looking at our iwi stories from a history point of view where he would talk about, you know, I go for these great walks and I'm looking around the area and I always wonder, you know, how did our people live in this space? What was really important to them in terms of the, the environment, the waters, the manu, the birds that were in the area? And he was really interested in understanding those stories. So once we actually got to talking about the, our different perspectives and take on iwi stories in relation to the environment, we decided that we could actually do something about that. So we, yeah, just drummed up, and this is all off one conversation, drummed up this idea around taking the learnings from Pokemon Go and actually giving, using that same technology, but using content that was both educational as well as localised, so made by Māori for Māori. What a wonderful idea. And as a, as a mum myself, my kids who have used Pokemon Go, I can see and kind of understand where that has come from. And absolutely, for then as a parent, it was a way to get, you know, your kids kind of out and about in the outdoors and moving. And then I was reflecting as you were telling that we were lucky enough last year, we were over on the West Coast near Hokitika, West Coast of South Island, and we had a wonderful Māori guide who came in and, and showed us along the Arahura River there. And the stories that he told about the the history of the river and the people who live there and the Punamu, of course, that's found there as well. I could just imagine that being brought to life as well. So absolutely, I can, uh, I really got a sense of, yes, I can see how between you and Isaac, you you know, that conversation sparked something. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly did. And it was just that one conversation that took us on this journey that we're still, still in now on like, you know, how do we create well how do we use technologies better and how do we help our indigenous peoples through what we're building giving more voice and visibility in the tech sector or in the game sector Mm. and so I think that was in 2018 that ARA was kind of formally founded what has been the journey since then in the last four years for the company it's been non-stop so the company yes formally founded in 2018 we actually, at the start, had no like no intentions of starting a company. It wasn't until we released a prototype of the project that we ended up launching with that we realised we actually had something that people wanted and needed. Launching that first prototype was an eye-opener to us because we developed this game and we thought it was really cool and it met the objectives that we wanted it to meet and then when we took it live the uptake and the impact that we saw it have across communities was just mind-blowing to be honest and it was yeah wasn't until after that first soft launch of the prototype that we actually got a contract not long after that and that's when we decided we should start the company. 
it's sometimes that way, isn't it? It's like, oh, hang, hang on, I think we have a product, therefore we probably have a company, so yeah. let's go. I mean, how did you make that decision also through, as you said, you know, kind of working still, st- then starting to run the company? How did that go for you in terms of, I guess, at some stage going, yep, I'm all in, this is, let's go for it? When we started, I honestly had no idea the impact or the rate in which the company would grow. It's Yeah, it's been non-stop for the last four years. But when we did go in and register the company and take on that first contract and start working that up, we had no idea just how well received it would be with the general public. And I guess we've been fortunate in that since the second launch we did, which was for that contract after starting the company, that really took off both here and globally, which led to more more opportunities and business coming through. We are still quite a lean company now. Um, we were even leaner back then. So for me, I think it was managing that growth um, and expectations quite well in those in those early years to not to not overcommit ourselves but to also really make sure that we weren't one hit wonders Mm, that makes sense I think that's the challenge isn't it you don't want to you may have one good product but what then follows that up and how do you make it into a sustainable profitable business that can grow and scale for the longer term yeah, and that's kind of, that's the lessons I learned from being in the commercialisation space within the university and working with some startup companies. You'd you'd see the highs and then quite quickly the lows that followed. So I was always very wary of that situation in the startup space and didn't want the company to like didn't want to rush ahead, like give up a, a great job that I loved. I was well paid, you know. I had all that security having kept my position at at the university so it was yeah it was a tough decision not to go head first into the company because at times I really did want to and just yeah just be mindful that this would only be our second prototype and we're still working out the market situation we're still working out demand we're still learning how to build a team at that stage because there was only three of us so yeah was <laughs> a lot <laughs> A lot, absolutely a lot. And so what stage is Ara Journeys at now? Four years down the track, we've won multiple awards, both here and internationally, which we're quite proud of. Right now, my key focus for 2022 is international growth. So we've done a little bit of business overseas here and there, but nothing really concrete or not as established as I'd like us to be in those international markets. So next steps for the company, as well as still building and prototyping here, is is looking at that international growth strategy and determining, you know, where we best fit um, in the big wide world. Mm, And I find this really interesting because I know that the kind of the the idea originally came from a place of, as you said, telling the stories of mana whenua. I believe like some, one of the first prototypes or games that you put out was like a, I think it was a character called Manu and very much kind of situated in Witty, so kind of very local South Auckland. What then was the decision to take, you know, what prompted the decision to go overseas, to go global? The decision to go global was floating in my mind um, since 2019. So off the back of launching the Manu app, we made New Zealand High Tech Awards finalists. And 
as a as well as getting an invite to present in Hong Kong for the Rice Tech Conference. So Rice Tech Conference is the world's largest technology conference where they just have multiple presenters, investors, and people from all around the world come through to look at what's happening in that technology space. And it was when I was over there showcasing Manu, which I know sounds really bizarre because he's a Māori character who can call it all Māori, and he talks about our maramataka, so the lunar, the Māori lunar calendar. And I was over there showing him to all these international people, guests who had come through the conference, and the comments that I was receiving were they could really relate to the content. People from different cultures and different countries could see their own lunar calendar within the technology that we had created. Um, even some of the stories that Manu would talk to you about, like with the stars and Matariki's story, people could actually relate to that because they have similar stories in their culture as well. So that experience really opened my eyes because I had no no idea at that stage just how widely relatable the content was in terms of other Indigenous cultures. Fantastic. And how did you then, you know, you said you presented at this conference, you felt, oh, there's there's interest, it's very relatable. How did you actually get started with exporting? Uh, it was actually contacts at that conference that I ended up continuing the relationship with. And we, because the way that the platform's built, I can actually put Manu in over 200 locations around the world from sitting at home. So we were able to drop demonstrations over into the other countries with these connections I had made. And from there, it became, yeah, the business relationship and and the work stemmed from there. Mm, I can't imagine it, you know, as you said, at least you were able to do virtual demonstrations. It's the wonderful world of technology. But (laughs) equally, COVID the past, you know, a couple of years and therefore the restrictions on your ability to travel. How's that impacted um, in terms of your journey? As a digital tech company, I think we were really well positioned to be able to continue to operate throughout the different COVID lockdowns and restrictions that were put in place. With what we do and having the ability to be able to actually showcase our work in different countries without leaving our country was a huge advantage because it meant that I could still focus on those international business relationships while we continued to build what we were building back here in Aotearoa. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, you've talked already about some of the highs and lows in in different parts of your career, even some of the challenges when you first got started in terms of that balance. What, if you think about your exporting journey, like what have been the things that you're like, yep, we nailed that. I think we did that really well. And what are also the things you were like, oh, yeah, we'd do that differently if we did it again? I'm still on our export journey. Uh, To me, like having these one-off connections and relationships happening internationally for me isn't in my mind how export is I don't know if that makes sense but I want to actually start looking at going into markets really competitively this year so in terms of doing things differently I would have liked to have or I will be 
moving forward, really mapping out an international export strategy other than solely relying on those relationships. Mm, and that makes a lot of sense because in the early stages of, an, of a business, often you're opportunistic. You take the business where it comes, where the customers are, but actually as you start to work through it, you're able to take, as you said, that looking for a more strategic view on, on where your customers might be, where your focus might go as well. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like the relationships are still extremely important to us. That's one of the things we really value within our company is having authentic relationships with people both here and internationally that allow us to have these opportunities that we have had to work with Indigenous peoples and Indigenous content. So the relationship side is still really, really important in terms of the growth strategy for other journeys. But now that we're coming into to exporting into like the education sector or into the tourism sector, the relationship dynamics need to change a little bit and that's where I really think that export strategy will go a long way in helping. Mm-hmm, I'm sure it will. And I guess I'm quite conscious that as women, sometimes we're really good at looking at the kind of the risks and maybe the downsides of doing something, but actually there will also be kind of a huge amount of benefits or opportunities that growing your business more globally has given you. What have been some of those benefits or opportunities that, that you've seen from, from growing the business overseas? Well, definitely the the benefit is the travel <laughs> when we, we, we were traveling. Um, obviously, it's nice to get out and head overseas to be able to work and connect with all the fabulous people that we've been connecting with. Uh, that's definitely a highlight for me. But taking, like growing the business globally, the biggest benefit for us, and I know I can speak on behalf of my team when I say that, is being able to engage with other Indigenous communities, being able to show them what we've built and the technology that we're using to really help uh, tell our stories here in Aotearoa and start preserving some of our mātauranga Māori, like our cultural knowledge and language revitalisation strategies for for Māori back here and seeing them be a, being able to relate to what we're doing from their own perspectives, from their own culture, and being interested in doing the same in their countries as well. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that would be uh, fantastic to see. Yeah, great. And what support has been helpful for you along the way as you've been going, starting to go global? I've been really well supported by a company called Oyster Workshop. It's run by um, two lovely ladies, Sarah and Kim, and their focus with Oyster is around growing Māori and Pacifica talent or international export. Through the Oyster Workshop, I also had the opportunity to meet the fabulous team from North Asia Cape who are based here in Auckland, but they have a lot of information and knowledge and know-how around connecting into and exporting to the Asia Pacific, which has been super beneficial. And then the other piece of support that I've received, which has really opened my eyes in terms of how well we could be doing globally, is a workshop that I've just finished as of yesterday, which was run through NZTE, and that was the SAS Export Essentials Workshop. I learned so much through through that workshop and that's really provided I guess the guidance that I need to to have a bigger impact in that export market. 
Yeah, great. And great to see that support from different places that you're gathering in terms of whether it's knowledge or connections or belief and support for you um, that's come along the way. And if you take a step back now, Amber, and you kind of think about the work that you're doing today, what do you really love about it? I love the impact it has. A highlight for me is always, you know, seeing someone's face when they learn about the history of an area that they've lived in all their lives but never really known or understood the meaning or importance of a particular native species or a particular beach or stream or river. You see their eyes light up and, yeah, that that does it for me. It's a great feeling to be able to use technology to create these meaningful experiences. Mm, And I think a lot of women that I've spoken to along the way have most talked about that seeing your customers in experiencing the product is almost one of the best bits and that if you're kind of sometimes having a tougher day and trying to remember why am I doing this again actually seeing as you said that kind of joy the face light up as you see the difference that that what you are doing is making to somebody's life yeah and the comments like even because our products range from five-year-old right through to adults but you know listening to some of the adults And the comments that they make after doing one of the experiences, one Indian person that I met, he had lived in South Auckland all his life and had no idea around the importance of the Pūnui stream to to the people of the land or to the people that once lived here and lived off that stream. And he turned around and he goes, you know what, I need to be a better kaitiaki for this stream. And he made a plan to actually go out and help clean up the waterways because he had had this experience and learned about the real importance of the waterways. So that, that to me is one of the best stories I've had back. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, almost going from, yes, it's all good to, to build people's knowledge, but actually also to see people take action as a result, then that's, that's real impact, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's what we want to do. We want to create change. Yeah, and you've talked about a couple of the kind of tougher bits that you've you've gone through. If you look back over your whole career to date, what have been some of the toughest moments or challenges that, that you've had? I think some of the toughest challenges I've had have been internal, you know, self-doubt, wondering if I have the right abilities to do the jobs that were put in front of me you know, staircasing up from a receptionist at the university into a senior management role is a massive leap. And so there was a lot of self-doubt there. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, I was really lucky to have a support of managers the entire way through who helped me overcome some of those obstacles and really supported my promotions. I actually stayed in the research and innovation office as long as I did because my boss allowed me to rewrite my job description whenever I felt like I was becoming settled in that role. So for me, I'm always looking to grow and learn. I love I love learning everything and anything. And I always had my own personal whakaro or my thoughts on my career was the day that I woke up and didn't want to go to work was the day I needed to start looking for a new job and I think yeah it was that kind of mentality that stuck with me that helped me push through. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to come back, Amber, to that piece that you said about actually sometimes it's the internal challenges, sometimes it's that self-doubt or feeling, oh, am I ready, am I good enough, that sort of lack of confidence. And in our coaching work, I would say it's a really common theme that comes up with the women that we work with from a coaching perspective. And yes, there may be things that people around you can do. You know, it's great to have, you've got a supportive manager or mentor that makes a huge difference. I guess what's helped you personally? What have you been able to do that maybe has helped you work through some of that self-doubt? The one thing that has really helped me through that self-doubt is being confident enough to talk about the self-doubt with people rather than sitting and stewing on it within my own head, being able to, you know, approach my partner and, you know, talk to him, you know, do you think I'm doing the right thing? Is this a good idea? And he's always been really supportive and helped um, build my confidence there. But then also being able to have those real connections with my managers and senior staff within the teams that I worked with and being able to go to them and say, you know what, I don't know that this role is working for me, but I want to maybe head down this direction. What do you think? And really just being brave enough within myself to talk about some of these things that were going on in my head. Mm, And I think that's a a great piece of advice even for others is that sometimes that self-doubt sits so much in your head but actually if you talk about it either it lessens or sometimes other people believe in you more than you do and so that helps to bolster you up as well. Yeah and it is that other people believing in you because you know and you have to be open to receiving that as well like you know how some people are like oh yeah you're really great but you still inside think oh they're just saying that I think for me, because I was open to receiving that feedback and I really admired and respected the people that I had I was speaking with about these things, that helped settle the nerves and really helped me reframe the way I thought about different things and different aspects that were kind of hitting me left, right and centre at the time. Mm, nice. And my next question, the name for this podcast is The Female Career. So I'd be interested to understand what challenges or, or obstacles might you have faced as a woman in your career? This is a tricky tricky question to answer because there have been definitely been obstacles and challenges, but I'm not 100% sure that they've been there because I'm a woman. Like, I think they could be the same challenges for everyone. I know I've talked about great leadership and managers that I've had across my different roles, and most of them have been male managers that have supported me, given me the confidence and the help to to get these promotions and further my careers. And even today, you know, I worked when I first started at a, we were, I was leading a most, an all-male team. So when people were saying, oh, it must be lonely as a woman in tech because there are very little of us, especially Māori wahine in the tech space, I didn't feel isolated because I had this great group of guys that worked for me and we were like whānau, or we are like whānau. We're very much in conversation all the time, very supportive of each other on the very few times where I was overlooked in meetings because someone wanted to would rather speak directly with Isaac instead of like me responding Isaac's always been very quick to put people like to to put call people out on it to be honest he'd be like well actually Amber's the CEO so you need to be speaking with her about this 
uh, and some great examples there, I think, of male allies and the fact, you know, gender equality more broadly, it's not just about women, it's about all genders and thinking about how we can support each other and challenge perhaps some of the stereotypes and biases that might sit there. Yeah, it's like I know there are other women and they face a lot more obstacles and hurdles than than I have in my career. But for me, I've really leant on the male um, supporters that I do have in my network and there's there's more I have more male supporters in my network than I do female supporters and they've really been the ones that have helped me grow and advance in whatever direction I was taking at that time. That's great to hear and as you've gone through your career Amber there also will have been some real highlights some very kind of proud moments within your career what might some of those be if you've got one or two you could share? The proudest moment in my career was one where my daughter she came up to me one day and she goes, mum, I'm going to start a business. And I was like, really, are you? And she goes, yeah. And she's 13, by the way. She was like, yeah, I am. I'm going to start a business because you've already proven that women can lead and start their own businesses. And I'm going to do that too. That's been the best. That's been my motivator in my career and really helps me align my thinking and keeps me going when times get tough. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what a what a magical moment! Like the, it brought a massive smile to my face. Like, and I can just imagine that. But that is when you have role models in somebody's life that show what's possible. Then how inspirational that can be. So lovely to hear that. That's um, how much of a role model and an inspiration you've been to your daughter too. That's cool. Yeah, I, like the awards and that that we've won are great, and the opportunities you know to really share and showcase the work, the mahi that we do within the company has been amazing as well but it's those little moments where you can see the impact that you're having or you can see the change that you're trying to create come to life Mm, mm, those are the those are the moments that stick with you that kind of get you in the heart definitely and Amber where do you you know know Ara is still fairly early in its journey where do you see your own career heading into the future I have a 10-year exit plan for the company and once I have achieved what I've set out to achieve with other journeys, I'm really hoping to get into the investment space, so become an angel investor and focus on really helping and supporting Māori and Pacifica rangatahi who are starting their companies. What I love about that, that's, I asked the same or a very similar question to almost all of the guests that come on the podcast. That will have been, I'd say, almost the clearest view that I've heard from somebody about their purpose and their career, which um, was really neat for me to hear. Thank you. Um, And then one last question, Amber, what career advice would you have for other women? The best piece of advice I could give to other women is to really look for your support networks, your fans of what you're doing, whether they are female or male, and reach out and lean on those networks as much as you can. I've been really fortunate that my networks have helped me grow, not only professionally but personally as well, and they've helped me really develop and become a stronger person within myself. And I feel... Like I am now quite confident, well, a lot more confident than I was a few years back 
around what I do and how I'm going to do it and where I'm going to take other journeys. And I think it's been those support networks who have helped connect me into the right people who have been there to listen to me, who have given me advice and self-help on how to get out of my own head and start really living up to my full potential. That's what's helped me the most. And I think that would help a lot of other people too. Yeah, I can imagine it definitely would. And I like the way you almost take it beyond kind of just a network or networking and talk about it as support networks. So actually all those different elements that connections might bring, whether it is, yes, some business advice, but also some perhaps more personal support and ways to change your own mindset. So I love the way you talked about that. Amber, thank you so much. It has been so wonderful to hear about your own personal career journey, which I know will be really super interesting for others to listen to, but also the journey of starting ARA and then into going global and some of the personal and professional challenges, but also proud moments that you've had along the way. So thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Female Career Podcast. And I really hope that this story has inspired you in your own career journey. A big thank you again to NZTE for their support to bring to life this story of a woman going global. If you'd like to find out more about NZTE and the support they offer to help Kiwi companies grow internationally, then search online for NZTE Women in Export. And if you'd like to find out more about the leadership and career coaching that we offer at The Female Career, or if you'd like to book in a free introductory coaching session, send us an email, hello at thefemalecareer.com. Ka kite. Thank you.